Well, good morning to you all. For those of you that... Um, good morning. Oh, look at you. You're all saying good morning back now. How lovely and engaging. How participatory of you all. Um, so for those of you that haven't met me, my name is Nick, and I'm the pastor here together with my husband, Chris, um, who was on keys this morning. I'm a little bit croaky this morning, not because I had a big night out, but just because I've got a classic cold. So I've got the tissues here, not because I sense it's going to be a time of great emotion, but because if, it get, if I get a bit snotty, I might just need to step to one side. So please forgive me if I have a little bit of a cough or a sneeze as we go. So for those of you that haven't been around for the last few weeks, we've been doing a series that Sarah alluded to called Boulders. And this is based on a book by a guy called Simon Holly called Sustainable Power that we have been recommending to you guys to all read. Now, each week, Chris, when he's been doing some of these talks, has said, how many of you are reading the book? And then each time, like, two people put their hand up. So I'm going to ask you, with total faith, that by now, on, like, week seven, you've all nailed this, right? So how many of you are reading the book? Oh, look at that. Jesus lives and is alive. This is exciting. (laughs) So we're talking about sustainable power. And in this book, he talks about the premise of the fact that when we have the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that we should have rivers of living water that flow out of us. What he means by that is power. We should be experiencing God's power all the time in all we do. And this is what we've talked about for the last few weeks, that if for whatever reason... We are not experiencing that, rivers. If instead it feels like we're just getting a trickle, then something is in the way. Something is getting in the way and stopping that from happening. And we've been calling those things boulders. And we've been looking at how do you get rid of the boulders. Now, the reason we've called this series boulders and not stones is that if it's just a little stone that's getting in the way, you can just pick it up and move it. But these things that we've been talking about tend to be a bit bigger and they need a little bit more to get them out the way. And the key really is not in us straining and striving and trying and doing our best Christianity, but instead having an awareness of what we need to change our thinking about and then letting God do what he does best, which is to get this stuff out the way. So we talked about the fact that really the best way for us to get these boulders out of the way is something called repentance. And right back at the beginning in the introduction, we said repentance often we think is like saying sorry. But actually, that's just not what it is. And in the Gospels, they're the books in the Bible that talk about Jesus's life. The exclusive word used for repentance is metaneo. And that means to change your thinking. It's to think differently. So it's not about us saying, oh, I struggle with judgment or I struggle with unbelief we're talking about today or I struggle with this I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry like that's not what God's after God's not after us coming kind of wallowing and saying how sorry we are for not making the mark he's up for us instead coming and saying change how I think about this transform me from the inside out as I start to think differently about these things that get in the way so what are the things that get in the way here are the things we've been talking about self-reliance fear judgment or judgmentalism, control. Chris has done two parts on control. And last week, it was just a beautiful moment to see so many people coming forward to say, I want to be able to just give up control a little bit and let God have his way. And I want to feel brave enough to try and do that. And and I'm sure we're going to hear many more stories of how that happened. It was just brilliant. And today, we are going to talk about unbelief. 
Now, this is also going to be a two-parter. The first part today, we're going to talk about, well, what is unbelief? How does it get there? What is the impact of unbelief in our lives when we want to see God's power working in our lives? And then next time, we're going to take a little break from the series next Sunday. It's Father's Day. Chris is going to talk about, um, about fathering. And then I'm coming back again to do part two on unbelief, where we're going to talk a bit about the doubt thing that goes on in your mind, the practicals of how do you deal with the stuff that goes on in your head when you're not seeing what you hope happen in front of you. So we're going to do that in a couple of weeks' time. Now, the key thing I would love for you to take away with you this morning as you leave here is to understand this. It's so key, I wrote it on a slide so that you can actually read it and try and remember it. And that is this, unbelief isn't on the other end of a scale of faith. So for example, it's not like I am full of faith and then I have a little bit less faith, a bit less faith, a bit less faith, and then over here I have unbelief. It's not a lack of faith. Lack of faith often comes with this guilt trip thing. You pray for something, something doesn't work or something doesn't happen, and then generally people in churches helpfully throw around things like maybe you didn't have enough faith. Um, and then that's if anyone ever says that to you in this church, can you come and let me know? And so basically that leaves you feeling guilty. It leaves you feeling ashamed in some way. You feel rubbish about that because you feel like I have a lack of faith. But what I want to talk about this morning is that unbelief isn't the opposite end of a scale, like a diminishing scale. It's an opposing force that pulls in the opposite direction. You can be full of faith and you can have unbelief pulling you in the other direction. And that's what I want to talk about. It, what that does is it unbelief, it pulls us away from the reality of who God is, how good he is. It pulls us away from the reality of who we are and what he says about us. And he pulls us away from the reality of how powerful we can be when he uses us to do stuff. And it can be a very powerful force indeed. And what we need to do is get our eyes up and start refocusing on the truth of who God is, who he says we are, and what he says we can do with him. Now, you might be sat here this morning thinking, I've totally nailed this boulder. I don't have to listen. I don't struggle with unbelief at all. In fact, I believe God can do anything, and I'm fine with that. Now, in the book that we've been looking at, he lists some symptoms of what unbelief might look like in your life. And I'm going to read the list, and you just see whether any of them sound like you. And if none of them sound like you, I will take this microphone off and hand it to you. And then you can all come and you can tell us how it's done. So here is the list of some symptoms that maybe you might have some unbelief kicking off in your heart. Number one, I find myself disappointed and let down by God when he doesn't seem to work or answer my prayers as I believe he should. Number two, when I hear of others' experiences of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical, and I often try and analyse, minimise, or disprove their claim. Next one. Others call me critical, but I just think they're naive, and I am discerning. <laughs> no one's going to admit to that one. I first perceive situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Here's one that may relate. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me that way. Or how about this one? I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. 
or this one. I think my situation, my sins, my fears, my ex will never change. It's just, it is what it is. Or this one, I have a tendency to worry and have anxiety and fear about many things. And finally, I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. Any of those ringing any bells for any of you? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. And the thing about unbelief is it's not just that it's unhelpful. It's not like unbelief is just something that's just not a very helpful thing to have in your life. The Bible talks quite a bit about it, actually. And the Bible says that some of the effects in the book of Romans, which is a letter written to the church in Rome, it says that unbelief can break us off from God's plan for our lives. That's one of the effects that unbelief can have. In Hebrews 3, it talks about the fact that unbelief can lead to a separation in relationship between us and God. It's like a barrier, it's like a wall between us that stops us getting to him. It also talks about the fact that if we've got unbelief going on, it can cause an inability for us to find a true rest in God. Because we're just wrestling it out all the time. And something else that the Bible tells us about unbelief and one of the impacts is that it affects God's ability to transform us and for us to bring transformation to people around us. And that's something we're going to look at in the story that we're going to read today in the book of Mark, which is one of the books written in the Bible about Jesus' life. So basically, to summarise what is unbelief, it's essentially when we start believing lies about these things. The source, who God is, our identity, who he says we are, and our purpose, what he says we can do with him. That's where it starts to come in, and that's effectively what it is. And we're going to read now a story uh, in the book of Mark that talks quite a bit about unbelief. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and I'm going to read it. This is from the NIV, the nearly infallible version, as it is known, of the Bible. Okay, so this is called Jesus Heals a Boy Possessed by an Impure Spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I've always wanted to be there at that moment. You always think, Jesus, meek and mild, holding a lamb. And at this point, he's like, what? Like, how many times do I have to get this stuff through to you? Bring the boy to me. That's what he says. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. 
help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. So there is loads in that story. And we've spoken about that story in different contexts here before. But what I want to a little bit draw out of this is this idea of, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And that it's not this mutually exclusive thing that you either are, have loads of faith or you have none. Like the two can coexist together. And to give you a little bit of context here, the disciples had been going around seeing miracles happening loads. They'd been praying for people and seeing it work, like loads. These people were full of faith. The disciples were totally full of faith and fully expectant that when they prayed, something was going to change and happen. They weren't going in with a lack of faith. Their track record was really good. And so when they went into this situation, they were full of faith that what they did would work and were expectant that it was going to work. It wasn't that they lacked faith. But the blockage that Jesus makes really clear to the breakthrough coming is unbelief. He says, you unbelieving generation. And then if you look at the same story when it's told by Matthew in one of the other gospels, when he's specifically asked by the disciples, why didn't we get breakthrough? Why couldn't we see it happen? He replies, because of your unbelief. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going into a situation full of faith that something is going to change, and then it doesn't change, something has got in the way. There's been some blockage. And this is what Jesus is saying. The blockage is unbelief. We need to get rid of it. And as I've been preparing this week, the visual idea of, I've had in my head is of a tug of war. Now, I found this picture, which is what I was really wanting. Google Images is normally really good. But what I really wanted was a picture that showed the two sides pulling and you could see their faces. So I've got this one. And what I need you to do is picture those faces on that picture. That would really help me. This is how I was picturing it. So you've got a tug of war. You've got a rope in the middle. And then you've got these two opposing sides, both pulling hard. Okay? They're both putting loads of resistance in. And it's not like some nice heave. Like it's the faces of those guys in the other picture. Like it's gritty. They're pulling, pulling really, really hard. And that's what I think is going on when it comes to faith and unbelief. We can be full of faith. We can know God is good. We can know what he says about us. And we can know that he says we can use his power to do great things. And at the same time, we can have this force going on in our life, which is, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? Don't you remember last time when you prayed for that person and it didn't work? Ah. Oh. You know, you've got all of that. That's the other side. So over here, you've got these voices screaming at you, not going to work. And then over here, you've got the, oh, God is so good. And I've seen impossible things happen before. And it is these opposing forces that are pulling. And what I love is the amazing insight of the dad in this story when he says this, I do believe, just help me in my unbelief. Like, I really do. I get it. Please help me over here. 
And the way that I feel that God's been speaking to me this week is us looking and thinking, well, if we want to get some breakthrough and some change, we've got to start taking some guys off this end of the rope. That's what we've got to do. We've got to find some way to add some strength and some power to this side. And at the same time, we've got to start just getting rid of some of these guys over here. The ones that are the ones that whisper in your ear that tell you, don't you remember last time? Don't you remember when you were full of faith and it didn't work? Do you remember? That, you need to get rid of them off the rope and we need to start putting more power on this side. Because if not, what we have is we start to pray and when those two forces are pulling at each other, like a tug of war, you don't go anywhere. You just stay stuck in the situation and you're frustrated and you can't see the change that you want. I've been reading a little bit from a guy called Santo Calaco, such a great name. He is a pastor in um, Australia and I'm going to read you just a little excerpt of what he says about this story. He says, when the disciples asked Jesus what went wrong, Jesus did not say that the boy did not get healed because it was not God's will. Jesus did not say that the boy did not get healed because the demon was too big. Jesus did not say that the boy did not get healed because they followed a different procedure this time. Jesus did not say that the boy did not get healed because they needed greater faith. They released faith. And then he says this. The problem of the disciples was the same as that of the boy's father. They, in fact, did believe, but this time they also had unbelief. They didn't need more faith. They needed less unbelief. Zero, in fact. And it's just if you imagine that tug of war, this is what was going on in this situation. It wasn't that they weren't full of faith. They were but they had something pulling on the other end of the rope that got in somehow and was causing them to be pulled in the other direction and that's why they were getting stuck. So Simon Holly in the book Sustainable Power describes unbelief as being rooted in a lie or lies that we have believed and identifying those lies is the key to a renewed mind, this changing our thinking and seeing things differently. Now, what we need to start doing is identifying, well, where has unbelief come in in my life? Because children, by nature, are believers. You know, children are, you know, faith-filled. They are believers, generally. Like, they, they have this desire to believe. That's how children are. You know, there's a great reason why Jesus said they were brilliant role models. Because he was like, look at the children. That's what it's like to be a child in my kingdom. Look at the children. And yet, somehow, as we grow from children into adults cynicism and unbelief and all of this stuff just starts to creep in and then we start to think differently. And one of the keys is to us to identify, well, where did the unbelief come in? Where did it come in for me? Where did it cling on and start to affect the way that I thought about God, about who I am and about what is possible? And as I was preparing this, I started to do this and I just said to God, like, can you just show me, like, where, where have these lies come in along these three things about who you are, who I am, and what is possible. And I was immediately reminded of a situation that happened in my life when I was about 12. And I grew up in church. I was really fortunate to have grown up in church and be surrounded by some incredibly faith-filled people who taught me about what God was like. And, um, and this situation a little bit rocked that for me. 
So my mum had one sister, and she was the fun auntie. This was Auntie Jan. She was the one who, on Christmas morning, we all used to sleep in the same house on Christmas Eve, and she would come and wake us up at four in the morning, um, because she'd be like, it's today, it's today. She was like that, and then my mum would be like, oh, I roll. She was, she was so fun. She was brilliant. She was like the naughty auntie. You'd go to her house and get given so many sweets and then sent home in like a sugar coma. She was awesome, and, and she had one son, David, my cousin, and she suffered incredible loss and trauma in her life. Her husband, she lost a child. Her husband died when my cousin was just six, um, and so she was a single parent. And as a result of the loss and trauma she suffered, she became an alcoholic. And for many, many years, she wrestled with alcoholism. And she then went into residential rehab, if you like, to get well. And during that season of a few months, my cousin came to live with us. Poor guy. Only child male, house full of girls. Like, he did describe it as nightmare on Perry Street, is what he called those, the months of his life. And he came to live with us, and, and incredibly, during that time of rehab, my auntie not only met Jesus and had her life transformed, but she got free from that addiction, and it was amazing. And that, in many ways, just fueled my faith. At the age of 12, I was like, God, it's so good. Like, he's totally changed her life. And when she came home, a couple of months later, she had a heart attack. And she was at home alone with my cousin, um, who was 15. I remember having the call at home. My mum was away. I was with my older sisters. And hearing that she'd been rushed to hospital, I prayed my best prayers. Here I was, a faith-filled 12-year-old. I was like, God is good, this is possible. And I can honestly say, I, I don't think I had doubt. I was like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work, like, he's going to come through. And, and the door rang and, and my cousin came in and I, and I was reminded as I was preparing this of this story. And as he walked through the door, I remember looking at him, I stood on the stairs and I said to him, she's going to be okay. And he looked back at me and he said, she's gone. And it was like being punched in the gut and some. And do you know, I've hardly thought of this story since. It's funny, like you're a kid, life happens. But as I've been preparing this, I realized that that was a key moment for me. And it was a key moment because I'd gone from having this amazing sense of belief, this childlike faith. And in that situation, I'd suddenly, something had come in and it had rocked me. And it had rocked, and the outcome was that I believed some lies. One, I believed my prayers aren't powerful. I can pray all I like, and they're not powerful enough. It's not going to work. I also believed that God is good enough to heal simple stuff, but like hardcore stuff, like heart attacks, he's not able to do that. And I started to get my head around this idea that like God is limited in how powerful he can be. And that definitely, for me, added guys to the rope this side. On, in hindsight, I can look back and I see that some recruits came onto this side of the line on that day in that situation. Another situation I was reminded of when I was praying about this and thinking about unbelief coming in was when I was about 14 or 15, something called the Toronto Blessing was going on. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. Basically, it was this wave of stuff going across churches in America and over here where the Holy Spirit was turning up and people were responding in quite strange ways. People were falling on the floor or laughing or crying or making noises. And like there was, it was like this really obvious stuff and it was hitting churches everywhere. And I was about 14 or 15 
when this stuff was going on. And I remember so clearly stood at the back of a church watching people falling over, laughing and crying and going, what a load of rubbish. I stood and I looked and I thought, you attention seekers. I really believed it. I looked and I was like, this isn't real. Like, God can't work like, why would he? Like, God can't work like this. This stuff's not real. Saw people lying on the floor thinking, you're making it up. You've just literally like, kind of collapsed onto the floor. And, and, and again, as I was preparing this, I felt God show me that in that moment, I'd started to believe some lies. I'd added some guys to the rope, this side. The guys at this side of the rope that were basically telling me, if you don't like how it looks, it can't be God. That was one of the things I started to believe at that point. If it, if it doesn't fit into your box, then it can't be God. Or that God's, God isn't powerful enough to make you respond in physical ways like that. That was another one of those things that just started to feed into this unbelief stuff. And I'd ask you a question this morning. Like, can you think of times, can you think, if you did listen to that list of things that recognize unbelief creeping in, like, where did that start for you? Can you think of times where, and if you can't, I'd really encourage you to just sit down with God and ask him to show you. As I said, those two situations, I can honestly say I've barely thought about again since those years of my life. And yet here I am, much older than 14 or 15, and remembering them like they were yesterday because I can see now God showing me they were powerful moments, Nick. You started to believe some stuff about me that's not true. You started to believe some stuff about yourself that's not true. And you started to believe stuff about what is possible that is not true. And it crept in. And actually what happens is we just easily become offended by God. And we're going to talk about offense in a few weeks' time. But we, talk, we just get offended and we get cynical because we don't see what we want to see. And so we make assumptions about who God is, who he says we are, and what he said is possible based on what we are seeing in front of us. And then suddenly this side of the rope has got a whole world of power behind it and it's pulling and it's pulling and we're sitting in a situation where we need our faith to come through and we're just getting a bit stuck. So what do we do about it? Well, as I said right at the beginning, there's something about repentance and it isn't this groveling apology. It's a please change my thinking. That's what it is. It's a please change my thinking. And as I said at the beginning, boulders can't get removed by us or by our effort. This isn't about trying hard. This isn't about us saying, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away. I'm doing my best praying. This is about us being aware of what is getting in the way and then adopting a position of total surrender and saying over to you, I can't do this. I can't get this stuff out of the way but you can, and I'm giving you permission to come in and do your thing and take this stuff. And really quickly, just to finish, I think God gives us one of the keys to how to do this right at the end of the story. Do you notice at the end of the story, why couldn't we drive it out? This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Well, one of the commentaries I've been reading this week has a little bit blown my mind. I've always thought Jesus was talking about the demon. Don't know if you know this story and you're thinking, well, it's this type of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. Do you know it never says that? And what's interesting is there are many more indicators that what he's actually talking about is this kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. 
I've never seen that before. You know when you can read something loads of times and you never see it? He never says the demon's too big. He says there's a blockage, it's unbelief, and he says that more than once in that story. How do, how do we get rid of this type of demon? This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. This kind of unbelief that is rooted in you only comes out by prayer and fasting. Why? Because we need to refocus our attention on leaning into what is possible, leaning in to who God is, what he says about us, what he says is possible. And that is done through prayer and fasting, a ways we can do that. We lean in. When we lean into the supernatural and the spiritual and what is possible, that is how we remove this blockage of unbelief in our lives. And I think this is how we can make a start. We let him have permission. We're going to have a time now where we've got good kind of 10 minutes to just create some space for us to do some business with God over this stuff. But we let him in. We say, I can see this stuff's come. Please come and remove it from me. And then you lean in. Lean in to who he is, what he says about you, what he says is possible. And you can do that in lots of ways as you leave here. Paul Dunning spoke last week about podcasts and about just leaning into listening to some truth about who God is and what he says about you. Reading your Bible, worshipping. We're going to spend some time worshipping now. Worshipping, getting around people who will encourage you and speak life over you rather than speak destruction over you. But the key in all of it is, don't worry too much about the guys on this end of the rope. Let him do them. Let Jesus do that. But instead, there's something we can definitely do and we can keep adding guys to this side. We can keep adding people to this end of the rope who are powerful. How? Changing our thinking, remembering who he is, who he says we are and what he says is possible. And the more we add strength and power and then come to this place of, surrender and say to Jesus, you do these guys, then he loves to work in our lives in those ways. So let's stand. We're going to pray and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. One of the songs that we are going to sing speaks about this, the fact that the remembering, as Helen went round and said, anyone seen any prayers? Answered, yes, lots. There's something powerful about us remembering what he's done and saying, I know you can do that again. I know you, I might have a mountain in front of me that I can't seem to move, but I know you've moved them before and I know you can do it again. And I'm going to turn my focus onto that place rather than onto a place of it's not going to work. It's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. And I would encourage you as we worship now, as I said, we've got plenty of time. As we worship, if you feel like this is a boulder for you, which you can tell has just come in and got in the way and you would like to find a measure of freedom from that this morning. In this whole series, we're trying to create lots of space for people to meet with Jesus in this moment before you go off to your Sunday lunches and to the park and everything else and life gets back in the way. And so I would encourage you as we worship, if you would like someone to stand alongside you and pray with you about this stuff, about getting rid of some of these guys on this side of the rope, then as we worship, just make your way to the front. There's plenty of space here. If God isn't doing something with you in that and you see people standing here and you're in a circle or you're a wider leader, um, then please don't just stand there. Come and pray for people. It's, it takes courage to come forward and ask for prayer. So let's not leave anyone stood alone. Let's come around them as a family and pray. And you don't need to say anything magical. You just need to ask that God does his thing and stand with them as he does. So let's worship 
um, and just invite the Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and do more in us. We invite you right now to take these boulders and smash them apart and see them out of our lives. To remove the guys from that side of the rope of unbelief that pulls us back and release us into greater belief. We believe, so help us in our unbelief, Father, we ask. Help us to see that you are a good, good Father and you love us and you want to see breakthrough in our futures and the futures of people around us. saying that she feels like there's something in that that first line of that song that talks about um, I thought these walls would have fallen by now like this is a long term like I'd have thought this would have been done you've got long-term stuff that you've been having faith for and you've been praying for and it's not you've not had the breakthrough and you'd have thought by now the wall would have fallen and it hasn't and Ruth was saying she feels like God wants to encourage you this morning don't give up don't give up don't give up look at what he's done before keep your eyes on that keep your eyes on what he's done before knowing that he can do this for you again and in line with that something I felt is that line in that song that says you've never failed me yet I think there's a whole bunch of us here that would say that's just not true actually he totally failed me do you know what I prayed my like for me with my auntie like I prayed my breast prayers he failed me And you know, I think this is where we let wrong thinking come into our heads. And what's interesting in that story about the disciples is that, and I've written it in the margin of my Bible, it says, don't walk away, go to Jesus. They didn't, as far as they were concerned, God failed them. They did all they knew to do. They prayed their best prayers and it didn't work. And as far as they could have said, well, he failed me. But do you know what they did? They went to him and they said, help me understand help me see where were you in this what was going on and I would encourage you this morning if you're in that position where you feel like he did fail me actually I feel like he did he wants to meet you in that place he doesn't want you to do that on your own he wants to meet you in that place and say I'm right here let's talk about that come draw in come be with me as I meet you there so father I thank you so much for um, for the way that you draw us in when we feel alone when we feel angry or offended at you or disappointed or hurt, that rather than you keeping us at arm's length, you you draw us into relationship with you. And Father, we give you permission to remove some of those boulders of unbelief in our life this morning. We don't want that end of the rope to have power anymore. Help us see where it came in. And then in that awareness, we give you permission to take it away. Father, we declare that we will be a community of people that are full of belief. We are full of an understanding of who you are, of who you say we are, and of what you say is possible. And that that is the hallmark of who we are in our day to day. listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it for more information visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby in the meantime have a great week and know just how loved you are